Welcome to another episode of The Intellectuals. We're honored today to have as our guest, Dr. Carol Swain. Now, let me just give you a short biographical sketch of Dr. Swain, just so you have a feel for who we will be conversing with today. Dr. Carol Swain, an award-winning political scientist and former tenured professor at Princeton and Vanderbilt universities, is a distinguished senior fellow for constitutional studies with the Texas Public Policy Foundation and an educational advisor for the American Cornerstone Institute founded by Dr. Ben Carson. She has served on the Tennessee Advisory Committee to the U.S. Civil Rights Commission, the National Endowment for the Humanities, and the 1776 Commission. Dr. Swain is the author or editor of 11 books, including the bestseller, Black Eye for America, How Critical Race Theory is Burning Down the House with co-author Christopher Shore. And what an incredible book, I couldn't put it down. Dr. Swain is an entrepreneur and her businesses include Carol Swain Enterprises, LLC, and Unity Training Solutions, LLC, which offers an alternative to diversity, equity, and inclusion training. Dr. Swain holds five degrees, including a PhD from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and another advanced degree from Yale. Welcome to our program, Dr. Swain. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we've got a lot to talk about today and, and as, a, as they appreciate, it won't be any small talk. These are all <laughs> major, major issues that we'll be talking about. And I hope our viewers will appreciate the, uh, the depth of your understanding and uh, exposition in these areas. Uh, Dr. Even Swain, you... Go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go I ahead. Say, even before we get started with these deep uh, issues, I want people to be encouraged, no matter what they hear today, that they should still be encouraged. Amen. Uh, the importance of an open mind. Uh, Dr. Swain, you came from very humble origins. Can you tell our viewers a little bit about your background and how you came to be where you are today? Well, I was one of 12 children born and raised in rural poverty in southwestern Virginia. And we all dropped out of school after completing the eighth grade. Uh, I married at 16, had my first child at 17. By the time I was 21, I had three small children. People came into my life and encouraged me. One was a medical doctor. One was an orderly at a nursing home where I was working. And I ended up getting a high school equivalency, going to a community college, getting the first of five degrees, um, was an honor gra honors graduate with my bachelor's degree. I was steered into academia. I became a professor uh, at, ten at Princeton first, where I was tenured, and then Vanderbilt. And I've won national prizes, and I have lived the American dream. And, um, and so, my life uh, speaks volumes. I know there are a lot of people who were raised in poverty. And if you ask me, how did I get to where I am today? Uh, I very much see uh, God's providence and his hand uh, throughout my life, even though I was not always a believer uh, the way I am today. He brought people into my life. He moved people out, uh, out and he steered me, I think, uh, to this path. 
because I never anticipated I'd become a university professor. I struggled with a lifelong shyness. I never thought that I would be able to speak in front of, you know, uh, crowds of people, do national media, do the things I do today. And it's all by the grace of God. You know, it's it's refreshing for someone to be as unrestrained as you are to talk about the elephant in the room. It, I mean, it's so easy to dismiss or to disregard or to impugn God and his presence in our lives. And I, I am so grateful that we have leaders like you that are willing to speak uh, confidently about, about your faith. Thank you. Dr. Swain, you know, we know that you are affiliated with the 1776 Unites. Tell us a bit about 1776 Unites and what you hope to accomplish through that effort. I mean, there are two things that I've been affiliated with. Uh, 1776 Unites was founded by Bob Woodson in reaction to the 1619 project that the New York Times released in 2019. And 1776 Unites was, uh, it, it was and is a group of scholars, activists, and people from different walks of life who came together pretty much in defense of America and its true history. And Bob Woodson, who's the founder of the Woodson Center, he uh, has always, um, uh, you know, just stood for the best of what America has to offer, but has wanted us to emphasize the best of what Black America and white America have had to offer working together. And we talk about uh, the accomplishments of people you know, during slavery and afterwards, as well as the fact that um, there were white families like the Rosenwalls that donated uh, money to set up black colleges and universities, as well as uh, black schools across the South. And uh, we acknowledge the fact that during slavery, there were the abolitionists, there were the white people that risked their lives setting up the Underground Railroad and during the civil rights movement, that was a time in our history when people came together across racial, ethnic, political, religious lines to work together. And so 1776 Unites, uh, part of what we've tried to do is to tell the true history of America. Uh, the organization now that was started by Bob Woodson has high school curricula, curriculums uh, that people can download and use and they send out speakers and they're involved in a lot of activities. President Bush, excuse me, President uh, Trump appointed me to the 1776 Commission as vice chair. And uh, that commission, we produced one report, uh, President Biden quickly disbanded uh, our group. We kind of informally reconstituted ourselves, but we are very much about encouraging um, uh, organizations as well as schools to teach the true story of America's history and its founding. So I'll there's 1776, <laughs> the commission yeah, that, as well as 1776 yeah. Unites. Yeah, I, I, uh, I was pretty shocked when I saw how quickly President Biden disbanded that commission. Day one, <laughs> his first which, day in office, <laughs> we were a danger. We were a threat to the progressive agenda. Well, in 
in uh, earlier times, at least in, in our lifetimes, I think a, a new president would be uh, oh, cautious about eliminating something that had put in motion by a previous administration, something that was legal and ethical. Uh, and it just really drives home how hard the left is working to, to have only one narrative and I not to allow because... people. Yeah. Well, now you've written a fascinating book. I, I couldn't put it down. Uh, Black Eye for America. Tell us a bit why you wrote that book and what you hope to accomplish by it. Right. The book was published uh, August 2021. And the reason um, I wrote the book and brought on Christopher Shaw as a co-author is that I had been contacted for months and by parents, uh, teachers, policymakers, uh, individuals who were grappling with uh, critical race theory and what it meant and how it operated and how to fight back. And I realized they needed a primer. And so initially, my goal was to write a short primer, even shorter than the book that you just raised up, uh, that would explain what critical race theory is. I brought on uh, Dr. Christopher Shore as a research assistant initially. He's a young PhD from Georgetown, conservative, Christian, military background, um, and he didn't have a job. And you know that if you have those characteristics, it's harder. Uh, he, he now uh, is employed, but not employed as a professor. And he was so good at his work, I hired him uh, to be my co-author. He came along as the co-author. And in that book, Critical Race Theory, uh, the book on critical race theory, Black Eye for America, how critical race theory is printed down the house, we explain what critical race theory is, where it came from. It has Marxist roots as well as post-modernist roots. And for people who don't understand what postmodernism is, um, the whole idea that everything is relative, that there's no absolute truths, uh, and the idea that you need to deconstruct or take apart existing traditional uh, society, all of that comes from postmodernism. So Marxism that came from Karl Marx, when economic Marxism failed, his disciples began to study to try to figure out what had gone wrong and they uh, decided it was the culture and that you would not be able to change uh, societies, Western societies, unless you first undermined and attacked the culture, especially uh, those Judeo-Christian roots and traditions. And so uh, the critical race theory is undergirded by uh, the cultural Marxism, postmodernism, critical legal uh, studies, and it is one of several different critical uh, theories. So in the book, we talk about some of the early theories behind critical race theory, how critical, critical race theory itself came out of critical theory. We talk about how it manifests itself in our society and why it's dangerous, why it's anti-Christian, why it runs counter to our civil rights laws and our constitution. And there are two chapters on how to fight back and there's a glossary, and that glossary is important because the people that uh, are pushing that leftist progressive agenda, they keep changing the words. They will say that critical race theory is not being taught you know, in K through 12 schools, that it's just a course that's taught at universities, or it's only taught at universities. Well, that's a lie. 
Uh, critical race theory is being taught through ethnic studies, through some courses on civil rights. Uh, uh, when they talk about culturally sensitive learning, uh, when they talk about uh, action civics, there's a whole list of, uh, of terms that they use that are related to critical theory and you need to understand when it is being used and when you're being deceived. And we also have appendices that uh, will help you also to be able to identify when critical race theory uh, is present as well as critical feminist theory that uh, sort of emasculates males and um, critical queer theory, the agenda that they're pushing on our children. All of these are critical theories. All of them are dangerous. And our book was meant to be a resource. It was meant to be studied and used as a resource so that you can confidently stand up and fight back against what's been taking place in our society. Well, I, I congratulate you on a, a well-developed product because you very, very clearly explain the nature of the problem. And then you also offer some tools on how we can recognize it and get beyond it. The one, the one thing that really fascinates me about this phenomenon that we're dealing with is if the left so truly believes in the tenets of Marxism, critical race theory, why do they have to lie about it? I mean, deception is a part of it. Uh, you look at Saul Alinsky's Rules for Radicals, and that book got a lot of attention after President Obama was um, elected because he had worked at one time for a group that was founded by Saul Alinsky. And in that book, it's very much about using infiltration of organizations, deception, and manipulation. And so lying and believing that the ends justify the means, that's a part of their strategy. And also shutting down speech so that they're the only ones who are allowed to speech and to speak. And if you're conservative, making sure that your viewpoint is not being heard, drowning out your voice, all of that's part of their political strategy. So uh, truth has nothing to do with what the people do. Uh, nor are they motivated by concern about racial and ethnic minorities and people who are disadvantaged. I would argue that they really don't care about gay people. They don't care about black and brown people. They only care about advancing their Marxist agenda, their utopian goals. Uh, and they are a danger and they are a threat to our democratic republic. Well, I, I think what makes challenging this difficult for Christians uh, is that we try not to judge other people. You know, we we want to be a good example. We judge each other all the time. <laughs> I know. But what, what fascinates me is uh, that we have black intellectuals like yourself, Thomas Sowell, Shelby Steele, Glenn Lowry, John McWhorter, Wilford Riley, and Jason Hill, so ignored both by academics and the wider culture. I guess this plays into the same themes that you've been talking about uh, by Saul Alinsky and the tactics to use, but it, it really uh, disappoints me immensely that we don't have a more objective media and uh, academia out there that respects different views and actually leans forward and inquires in terms of rationale and, and evidence to support positions 
They don't care about that. So how do we get beyond this? Well, first of all, we have to uh, realize that they're not pursuing truth. They're not interested in universities or colleges being marketplaces of ideas. They're not interested in, in teaching young people how to think critically. They're interested in indoctrinating people. And so they would prefer to have a dumbed down population. And it's not just targeted at ethnic and racial minorities. They're trying to dumb down the general population. And so when you hear the arguments that math is racist, that uh, ethno-mathematics, I mean, just think about the implications of that. And think about all the fields of study, uh, all the things where you need to be good at math. You have to know math in just about every field, including uh, art. Uh, you have to know math. You know, if you're an engineer, if you're a pharmacist, if you're an architect, uh, if you're an electrician, just go down the list. And when they um, uh, engage in philosophies that make it harder to teach young people, regardless of race, the mathematical concepts that will need to be built upon so that they can learn algebra and calculus and higher levels of math, you can see that uh, they're not interested in even the betterment of society. And you look at what's taking place in America, our educational system is being destroyed, but in other nations, they're educating our children. You know, in China and, and, and India and all of these places, their children are being educated. And what we're doing is indoctrinating ours with all the soft social science, social engineering, and it's very dangerous uh, for the health of our democratic republic. Well, <clears throat> I, I try to get into the mind of Ibram Kendi. Just by the... There's the, not much to it, so I don't... It should. <laughs> no, there's not much there. You know, first of all, why would a person change their birth name? Uh, is the first question I had. And then when I visited his uh, academic website... I'm looking for references to peer-reviewed journal publications and whatever. Right. And the only thing I, I could see were essays written in the Atlantic Monthly. Well, here's the thing is that um, with critical race theory and with black scholars, part of it, they argue that uh, the learned, the lived experiences of racial and ethnic minorities carry more weight, you know, than any kind of data or historical uh, facts. Mm -hmm and they reject facts. And so um, it's been a way to lower academic standards and uh, the people in academia who are trying to check as many boxes as possible, they have allowed this to happen. And they've set up these ethnic studies, gender studies, all of these fields that end with studies, which are usually the, uh, the weakest, weakest um, departments on campus as a way to bring in large numbers of certain types of people, just like they've set up this infrastructure of diversity, equity, and inclusion offices on top of affirmative action, they have found a way to hire, you know, like scores of people, in some cases, hundreds of people to fulfill these roles. And uh, they have to keep conflict going because conflict theory undergirds DEI and CRT training. Well, I, I had learned about two months ago that there was a military leadership diversity commission chartered uh, in the 2009 
National Defense Authorization Act. I, I was completely uh, oblivious to that. So that was in the fall of 2008. By February of 2009, the Department of Defense had issued a directive with diversity management in the title, right. along with equal opportunity. And I'm reading that title and I'm thinking, equal opportunity stemming from the 1964 Civil Rights Act, which made discrimination illegal. Now all of a sudden there's, it's being balanced by diversity management, which is really code words for discrimination. Well, yes. And um, yes, that, that is the case that they set that up. And it wasn't eliminated during the Trump administration. In fact, I was contacted and asked to serve on that uh, board or commission. Uh, and, and I said no, because I don't believe in what those types of um, organization, you know, infrastructures tend to stand for their basic values. But I was told that I was needed to serve because I have a different viewpoint. And I agreed to have my name placed in nomination for a position. And then when President Biden took over, he dissolved it initially. But then I was approached again and asked, would I consider serving? I said, yes, I haven't heard anything, uh, but I certainly believe that uh, what they're doing presently undermines our civil rights laws and our constitution. And I also remember that for most of my life, we always looked to the US military as the one institution that had solved the problems when it came to uh, integration that it was the most integrated institution where people could move up according to marriage. And so we looked to the military as a model that other institutions could apply. Now, all of a sudden, you know, starting with Obama and continuing through Trump, and even now, uh, the military has started, you know, to focus on social engineering, uh, you know, with the LGBT community, as well as racial and ethnic minorities, to the point that I believe they're ill-equipped to fight wars and to protect uh, the national security because they're distracted by uh, their affinity groups. Which leads me to a passage in your book, Dr. Swain. Uh, very, very powerful. You had laid out some of the uh, accusations that this extremist working group was laying out, uh, headed up by Bishop Garrison. Uh, they said, among the recent additions, patriot extremists are those said to harbor dangerous beliefs, including notions that the U.S. government, one, has become corrupt, or two, has overstepped its constitutional boundaries, or three, is no longer capable of protecting the people against foreign threats. Now, when I saw that, I'm thinking, what's extreme about that? Well, here's you know, the thing. You remember with during the Obama administration, their homeland security, instead of looking uh, for domestic terrorists that might blow up buildings and uh, kill people, they started looking at returning vets, uh, you know, people that are patriotic. Right. And then during the Obama administration, they started purging the U.S. military of people who took their oath of office seriously to uphold the Constitution against foreign and domestic threats. 
uh, those people were seen as a danger. Well, and I and would say that. And we're seeing the fruits of that. Uh, I would say that people like me, and I'm very patriotic, but I question this United States government and its disregard for the Constitution. And I uh, distrust the CIA, the FBI, uh, the Department of Homeland Security, the CDC, the NIH, all of those organizations, I see them as totally corrupt. And so, um, you know, I'm sure that I'm on a domestic terrorist list somewhere or I'm on a watch list because um, uh, all of those things that they say are dangerous. I mean, these are my beliefs. This is what I believe. Follow me on Twitter or follow me on Facebook or wherever I am. I'm going to be posting my views, and those views are very threatening to the political left. Well, and now we hear about this uh, disinformation governance board, which right. should raise the hair on the back of anybody's neck. But here's here's it's the paragraph right. I wanted yeah, to right. share with our viewers in your book. You say, even more absurd than preventing young patriots from serving their country on such grounds is the notion that CRT has any place in the armed forces to begin with. CRT claims the basis for systemic racism and white supremacy resides in the nation's DNA through the Constitution. American servicemen and women swear oaths of allegiance to that same Constitution and defend the country with their lives. Every one of them is therefore a white supremacist, according to CRT. Very right, powerful, and now but say that black people can be white supremacists. So uh, they they would call me a black white supremacist because of my views. And everything is upside down, and I mean you, that that's the world we're living in with, with the progressive with, left in charge. But right. people should be encouraged because the, all the polling data suggests that the American people are not on board with what has been happening in this country. And the American people still have more traditional values. They're not in favor of CRT. They're not in favor of much of what's taking place uh, in this nation through the government that we have in power. Well, we have, uh, you know, one of my uh, heroes is Hannah Arendt. I, I do a lot of research on totalitarianism how it played out in history, its, its origins. But in her seminal work, The Origins of Totalitarianism, Hannah Arendt devoted a chapter to the phenomenon we're talking about. And the title was The Political Emancipation of the Bourgeoisie. Now, as you're talking about polling data, we've got all kinds of facts out there. It appears there are six corporations that control, own and control 90% of our media. Mm -hmm. And so they have a huge thumbprint of what people get to see and hear. How, how, do we, how do we counter that? Well, I think we are countering it effectively in the sense that no matter what they're doing, people are finding truth. And I think uh, with the Internet, we know that they have become an arm of the government, just like the uh, media. But we do have alternative media. And uh, for whatever, America is at a point where people are still able to get information if they want the information. And they have that gut instinct, you know, the conscience that every man has that uh, they know when something is not right. 
And so I think that um, we've effectively created some alternative ways for people to get information. And the liberal newspapers, a lot of them are going out of business and there's some conservative newspapers online that are cropping up. And now uh, we're still on social media and we have new social media platforms. Truth is getting out there. And that's why you see so many people that are falling away from the progressive uh, Democratic Party. Now, in, you call CRT a civil religion. Wh what do you mean by that? No, not a uh, not a civil religion. I, th I think we talked about uh, Robert Bellow that talked about Christianity being a civil religion uh, for America. And right. when he talked about it, uh, he was talking about the sense that even if you were not a Christian believer in the sense that you believed in Jesus Christ and um, and the afterlife and all of this stuff, as an American, there were certain Christian principles that we saw they all accepted at one time. And so with Christianity, it has sort of been like the civil religion of the United States uh, for everyone. Uh, that has changed in so many ways over the last few decades. Uh, critical race theory is a religion in the sense that it's competing with Christianity today by the fact that um, th they, they want the adherence, like it, it divides the world into the oppressors and the oppressed and putting all white people in the category of the oppressors. And in the category of the oppressors, like Christianity, you have to confess your sin, you know, and ask for redemption of the white people that are guilty of um, racism, which is supposed to be all whites, because according to that theory, uh, only white people can be racist regardless of whether they descended from um, abolitionists or, or descended from um, people who never held slaves, uh, descendants of the underground railroad conductors, all white people are supposed to confess their racism. And with Christianity, when you make your confession, there's redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ. Through uh, CRT, there's no redemption that white people are supposed to, this is ongoing work, of confessing your racism and becoming consciously anti-racist. Once you confess your racism, you're supposed to work uh, to eradicate racism by confronting other white people. And then we're told through the CRT uh, adherence that racism is permanent and white and black people are permanent victims. And so it's uh, the redemptive work is um, ongoing of white people uh, confessing their racism and trying to combat racism, even while being told that racism will never end. And um, it, um, so I think that's what uh, that you're talking about. It operates like a religion in that way that it requires confession, it requires work. It's a works based um, religion, but there's no redemption. It never ends the work that is you're being asked to do. And it's dangerous. It's it, so it's dangerous. Very, it's very dangerous and it's also harmful to racial and ethnic minorities because they are permanently in the victim category. No matter where they come from, they're all supposed to be victims. And it's a racist ideology. It's racist in the sense that it uh, gives all power to white people. And when it talks about white uh, supremacy and white supremacists, 
they make white people white supremacists with the argument that only white people can be racist and that white people somehow control the fate of other groups and that white people are the ones that have to do all the work and um and that's racist in and of itself it takes away autonomy of black people it um treats them as if they are just just like doing slavery when white people were supposed the good white people took care of their slaves they took care of their needs that is what crt is trying to do through the government and it's something that's unacceptable it should be rejected by all americans well one of the things that that we've struggled with with our group stars stand together against racism and radicalism in the services Number one is that we're called controversial. We're labeled as controversial because we are against. Well, they those. use that all the time. They throw those labels out all the time. Uh, when I was at Vanderbilt, they used to call me the controversial, controversial Carol Swain, the media. It was as if my first name was controversial. And so they're very good at throwing labels out uh, against any group or organization that challenges their narrative. Well, and, you know, we've tried to treat parties with respect and dignity. Uh, and when they put out claims like systemic racism at the United States Air Force Academy and the former superintendent had mandated an assessment of systemic racism, we filed a Freedom of Information Act request in October of 2020. And that request is still open. And the question I have for the superintendent is if systemic racism exists and you have evidence of it, why hide it? Well, the thing about it is, uh, my argument is that systemic racism existed when I was born in 1954, but that in 1960, I watched it collapse. And I watched it collapse with the passage of the 1964 Civil Rights Act, the 1965 Voting Rights Act, and the 1968 Open Housing Act and we became equal under the law and the discrimination that has persisted has been individual discrimination. And I reject the arguments of the political left that only white people can be racist. Any group can be racist and prejudicial against other groups. And, um, and I would argue that equal opportunity, uh, the quest for a colorblind society Dr. Martin Luther King's dream of judging people by the content of their character rather than the color of their skin, that that's the American way. That's the America that most of us want to live in. And this new thing about equity, equal outcomes, regardless of effort, I mean, that should be rejected. And inclusion used to mean bringing in people from different backgrounds to settings. And now they want inclusion to mean that you have all these little affinity groups celebrating their separate identities. And when you bring that into the US military where the, uh, the soldiers you know, are supposed to be almost as one as a team and you have the different affinity groups, of course it's gonna be disruptive uh, for any kind of organization. And when they talk about diversity, it used to mean that you'd go out to other schools or organizations, you try to recruit people from different backgrounds they want diversity to be that if you belong to one of the protected groups, you get celebrated and everyone else uh, is marginalized. And that uh, is wrong, but
but it also can be discriminatory against people who are not um, a protected member of the society. And what we find is that too many of the people involved with DEI and um, the equity uh, pursuit, they seem to forget that discrim discrimination, that we pass laws, anti-discrimination, laws against discrimination is the law of the land and white people are protected as well as men and, uh, and heterosexuals as well as homosexuals that these are all protected people. We are all protected. We are all equal under the law, according to our constitution. And we are all protected by civil rights laws with, with DEI and um, the this CRT and all of these agendas that they're pushing forward. They are in violation of our civil rights laws and our constitution. And people are justified in pushing back against these uh, theories and ideologies that are destroying our organizations and our society as a whole. Well, <clears throat> when we talk about civil rights and then join that with natural rights, which Christians believe in, uh, yes. it, it seems that a lot of what we're dealing with is well beyond political. It's it, There's also a spiritual dimension. And so as a woman well, of faith, as, as a man of faith, we realize that to live a good life and to be worthy of a better place after death, that living our life based on love and forgiveness and those sorts of principles is what's expected of us. But yet we have people that attack. I mean, they are unforgiving and certainly not loving. Uh, they're hateful they and contemptuous in their approach. Right. And that's what we're that's what we're up against. So are, are you hopeful, Dr. Swain? I am hopeful. We'll get beyond this? I, I am hopeful because I see the American people rejecting uh, what's been happening over the last uh, couple of decades. And I see uh, parents and teachers and people organizing at the grassroots uh, and pushing back against the agenda. And many of them never noticed before, but now it's out in the open, it's in your face. People can see what it is. Uh, the political left, they're bold about uh, what they're doing. And we find uh, now, uh, you know, as we're doing this interview and the news has been about Roe versus Wade and the fact that the Supreme Court has the votes to overturn it and that uh, the plan is to overturn it, uh, we find that there's one political party that's saying uh, the fact that this information was leaked illegally, you know, to the population, that that's going to be great for them, that they have something to run on. And so uh, some of us are appalled by the fact that never before has a U.S. Supreme Court decision draft been leaked to the media. Uh, but there's a political party that's saying, you know, this is wonderful. This will help us. That's the difference between having uh being principled and having ethics uh, and uh, the right kind of morals. And I think that the American people um, will begin to look very closely at a political party that thinks that they're gonna get an advantage by uh, defending the right of a woman to murder her unborn baby. And it, it is murder uh, because 
some of these babies are being killed at the point of birth. You know, they can be nine pounds, they can be 10 pounds, and they're being killed uh, sometimes within the womb, sometimes outside the womb. Uh, and this is taking place in America. And uh, they don't seem to have any qualms about uh, saying that this is the world they want. Well, and then having a, a serious discussion about decision-making along the way, uh, less than 3% of pregnant women are victims of rape or incest. So that means the vast majority of pregnancies stem from consensual decision-making. Right. So and, the woman didn't have a choice. And that, right. yeah. And so th there was choice involved along the way. But this heinous and barbaric um, taking of the lives of unborn babies uh, is something that I just don't think the American people are on board with anymore, that they have uh, taken it so far. And so there are many times I see the left overplaying uh, uh, their hand. And I think that. Uh, on abortion as well as CRT and the fact that the adherents of CRT believe it's okay to bully and shame white people or white children, that's not acceptable. That's not who we are as Americans and they will find out and are right. finding out. Right. Well, Dr. Swain, you are an important voice and I, I can't tell you how grateful we are that, that you have the courage and the wisdom to be arguing for what's good in America. Uh, how do our viewers learn more about Dr. Swain and, and your activities? Well, I have, uh, I have several websites, but one is bethepeoplenews.com, bethepeoplenews.com. There's information about me on carolmswain.com. And I have a nonprofit, bethepeoplenonprofit.com. And I'm on Twitter as at Carolyn Swain. I'm on Facebook at Carolyn Swain. I'm also on Getter. I'm on uh, Truth Social, Trump's new uh, platform uh, with the handle at Carolyn Swain. And so if you are on social media, I would really appreciate your following me on my platforms as well as subscribing to my newsletter. If you go to my website, bethepeoplenews.com, or carolynmswain.com, you can subscribe to the newsletter. Great. Well, STARS definitely follows your activities, your campaigns and crusades, and we're cheering for you. And Thank uh, you. we hope we can have you on again in the in the future to get updates on on how we're doing against this this disease in America. We're making progress. And so just be encouraged and you know just keep uh, keep working and and it involves prayer as well as just getting out there and battling, you know, the way uh, some of us are out there, we out front, we're doing what God has called us to do. And everyone's called to do something in their own sphere. And so get out there, do your part, your small part and my small part will create a ripple effect. And that's how change is going to happen. Great. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Swain. Thank you.